What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of Big Digital Energy, former BDE. You're missing. Vince may be the first week Chuck's ever missed. You might have missed some shows previously. I'm no, you sure, and I but... have done some shows together. Okay. I mean, speaking I of know. prostate, we got to talk contag- about Chuck's contag- accident <laughs> this weekend. Is it contagious? <laughs> All I know is I saw pictures of Chuck on Twitter and his boxers, and I was like, yeah, I'll shut Twitter for the weekend. He had an angry tweet this morning. Did he? Yeah. About what? Glendale should never get the Super Bowl again. It was a shit show. Oh, wow. That's harsh criticism from the man. I mean, whatever, Chuck. I mean, living the <laughs> lavish life. Sounds like a pretty privileged yeah. first world complaint. <laughs> so I, I like the money line bet at 25000 for the I kicker that, that yeah. missed the field goal in the first half. I was asleep, so I didn't actually see it. Yeah, did, uh, did he hit that? Was that his bet? He hit the winner. No, he didn't hit. The the bet was at a twenty five thousand money line that what's his name? The cheese kicker. Yeah. I forgot, I forgot. his name. He's got long hair. Beckner or something. Yeah. Uh, would win the MVP. Oh, gotcha. You, you miss a no, field he, goal, you're yeah, probably dinked, not going to. Yeah, he dinked one off the <laughs> totally. <laughs> competition from hard to win MVP if you're dinking them off the <laughs> uprights. But anyways, uh yeah, so obviously at the Super Bowl, Chuck was representing DW at the Super Bowl. But while he was gone, we were holding it down on Energy News. That's right. What do we have? Uh, what do we have first up, Mark? We don't have an edgy hoodie, but in honor <laughs> of today is pitchers and catchers reporting EV. I will be obnoxiously obsessed with baseball for the next eight and a half months. So, um, all right. Oh, speaking of, before we get into this, y'all see the. Uh, premature electrification ad at the Super <laughs> yeah. Bowl. Yeah, I did. This shit was genius. Like, I appreciated that as a content creator. And now I want to make a spoof of it, of premature electrification, but do it from, like, oil and gas <laughs> <laughs> point of view of, like, what happens when you have premature electrification. So, anyways. So Just ask Bernard Looney at BP about premature electrification yeah. I, I didn't i didn't that's a good one i didn't <laughs> i didn't see the ad but or i didn't see all the other ads but it was anecdotally rated from what i picked up as as the as the winner no the unofficial unofficial winner it made me Absolutely. laugh that's hard to do so all right all right there was a uh substack recently published by a well-known investigative journalist seymour hirsch who is mm-hmm. a, a young 85 out there doing the true investigative journalist work talking about an operation that was planned secretly uh, with the Navy salvage diet team in cooperation with the CIA and certain elements of the State Department and another interagency international security committee about uh, the planning of the U.S. bombing of the Nord Stream pipeline. Yeah, pretty bold claim. To start off with, but one, I want to give my respects to this dude. This is what I love about Substack. Like, you can get the true investigative journalism instead I'm, of just the for now sugar coated. Yeah, for now. Yeah, I can't <laughs> believe he hasn't been turned off. But I read the article, and while it's only one, he has one source. It seemed way too specific to be, you know. I mean, it might could be totally fake. I mean, I I don't know because yeah. I, I can't substantiate it. But it seems pretty damn real to me. Yeah, I mean just in the types of information and how specific it was, it seemed pretty elaborate for someone to make all of that up. Is that, is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So so there was a lot of back and forth, apparently as alleged by this person with direct 
operational knowledge of the planning and execution that, you know, they were going to figure out a way to do it where there would be less of a chance that. Yeah, no fingerprints. Uh, no fingerprints and no finger pointing at the U.S. And there was actually an operational change, a pretty difficult one in the middle of the planning process. And that was to have the ability to drop a sonar buoy to be able to detonate the devices uh, because the original plan was to have them detonate 48 hours after this. Right. So on a, on a, NATO, on a NATO exercise, the ball tops yeah. that takes place in June, uh, they do it under the cover of ball tops. And then 48 hours later, when everybody's off the scene and there's no Whoops. safety risk, then the bombs just detonate. But there was an operational change. There was a lot of fretting and frustration over this change to have it more at a time of the president's choosing to be able to remotely uh, trigger the, the devices. So, yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting. We talked about this on BDE right after it happened because someone ran a poll. I think it was Max Gugli already ran a poll on Twitter asking who is responsible for the bombing. And the majority of the poll voted United States. And I thought that was super interesting. I was like, why would the United States bomb the pipeline? And so a lot of people already seem to think that it was the U.S. that did it. And now you have this pretty detailed report, which I think it's also worth noting that uh, Seymour Hirsch, you know, mm. this guy, I don't know, so I can't speak to it. But um, from what I saw on Twitter, he's got a very, um, he's a valid guy. Like he's got a good reputation, right? So it'd be. He's credible. Yeah, he's credible. Now he's also 85, so he could just be senile as fuck and just. Or he doesn't give it. a fuck. And, and if he's <laughs> going to get, su get suicided for this, yeah. he's lived a good life. Yeah, for sure. I but, mean, that's but, but to your point, Kurt, and I think I mentioned this to you, Colin, before we came in, there's a lot of specificity uh, and a lot of detail. And Doomberg wrote a substack over the weekend that basically said, see more, need to see more. Yeah. Or something to that effect. And one of the things that they raised, mm -hmm. that Doomberg raised was, you know, this is against AP standard because it's reliance on a single source. There's no multiple sources confirming, right? So he is theoretically taking a risk, right? Mm. And the implications are, again, as they wrote, potentially more more than significant with with respect to kind of the peril for the administration and the president in particular being an impeachable thing and removal from office type of, uh, type of response. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, there, there was you no think like how, what's the chances of getting multiple sources on a topic <laughs> like this? I mean, the know? ramifications for if it is the United States are huge, but let's go back to one thing that I think is interesting. Side note is if you think about journalists back in his Seymour's days, even, even maybe even our generation, Mark, to some degree, you go into journalism to report the news. But if you talk to journalists today and ask them why they're in journalism, they say, I want to change the world. Mm. So journalism has changed from I'm here to just report the facts, ma'am, to I'm here to create a narrative. Yeah. Seymour maybe is like, hey, fuck it. Let's just talk a narrative. I've got some good information. Let's throw it out there. Yeah. But he's credible. So it'd be interesting. I do agree with Doomberg's um, article about we need to see more. Yeah. But 
fuck, if it's true, this is some big ass I mean, news. You gotta think that he thinks his source is pretty credible as well, too, if he's willing to stick his neck out there, right? So um yeah, you know, talking about journalists, I've just like I've lost so much respect for journalists, especially like when they put me on as like a GameStop expert, like I was the source. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's the biggest troll ever. Like you're putting me on international news as some like GameStop expert just because I tweeted about it. And like, you are now. I took that shit and ran with it. My mom's got a picture of me on Reuters hanging on her fridge of me just like yeah, my shit eating grin. You should keep it light like Chuck does. Just show up on TMZ every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's, let's sum this up it, with know, a little, let, let, let's touch a little bit on more, more direct energy implications. Yeah, you know, this was obviously a threat prior to the the impairment of the pipeline, if you will, that mm-hmm. Putin at his discretion could weaponize natural gas, and that was NATO's, the West, and the administration's heartburn, right? right? You know, if if this is indeed true, you've cut off for an indeterminate period of time significant flows of gas. In fact, fifty percent of Germany's gas comes through those pipelines. Yeah. And so, you know, we got bailed out in Europe this winter by because warm record yeah. warmth. Yeah. And there was a mad scramble to refill inventories, which were done successfully. But as we talked about last week, the Chinese are back on the market uh, as LNG buyers this next winter. And the Europeans were only competing with, you know, some, some, some Asian buyers that didn't have the wherewithal to secure those things. So now, you know, have we put Europe in a, in a potential precarious situation if we have a normal or colder than normal winter. In well, we, yeah. we did talk last week about how LNG sellers in the U.S. are struggling to raise financing right. because Europe won't sign long-term agreements because of the Paris Accords. But this might, might, might be the motivation um, needed to do it. Well, what if Europe won't sign LNG contracts because they think that we blew up? <laughs> Nord Stream, and they're like, "Fuck you, we're not buying your gas." Well, they don't have a choice. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the thing is, you don't have a choice. Yeah, you know, I saw some people were hating on Doomberg this uh, weekend because he was calling for you know like mass freezing and deaths in Europe, and it just didn't happen. Which I do think Doomberg, you know, tends to be pretty pessimistic. And um, that's, you think? that's the yeah. name, <laughs> uh, yeah, hence the name. Which they embrace that. Um, great information, but yeah you know, wrong on some stuff like that. But I think uh, something that we should verify on the show, I'm going to talk about it, but we should go look it up is this is something that Senator Ted Cruz told me in a group of other people that um, was that the Nord Stream pipeline was being built. This was during Trump's presidency and they introduced a piece of legislation that um, said, Hey, if you're building the pipeline, um, Essentially, we're going to bankrupt you. They put these sanctions on that pipeline to make sure that it didn't get built. And so essentially what happened was when Russia invaded, uh, was it Crimea back in 2014, 13, that they couldn't um, move into Ukraine because it would have disrupted their gas flow um, throughout Ukraine. But then once Trump was out of uh, the house and... Biden came in, like within two days, they repealed those sanctions and Nord Stream started being built again. And that's what led to this war. That's the story according to Ted Cruz. And so I haven't actually gone to look up like the um, timeline of those things operating, but um, yeah, we're already recording. Yeah, dude. 
Fossil, our podcast producer, just walked in here. He didn't know we even started the show. Fired. Dude, we're virtual now. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I think, I thought that was a pretty interesting comment by him. And, um, you know, you look at these pipelines and how much political sway they have and wars being fought and bombings happening. But you got to think, like, if there was evidence that the United States bombed that pipeline, I mean, that... It's going to piss some people off, and it's probably grounds for one on our side, um, impeachment of president or potential war. beginning I mean, of an act of war. Yeah, beginning of World War III, which now all of a sudden we have all these weird balloons and shit coming over. And besides caviar, I mean, Russia is, <laughs> I mean, their primary um, income stream is, is selling selling oil and gas no, so, right. so so we, ted cruz we, said he's like he's a petrol warlord like that's i mean that's we just their, blew up their their biggest asset yeah that would piss me off yeah for sure so, i might launch a few balloons our way well it's funny now. talking about let's talk about these balloons talking about doomberg doomberg retweeted me uh this this week which i shout out to doomberg for doing that getting me some likes but my tweet was there's this satirical uh narration of a uh, president biden's conversation and it's like sir they're catching on to us bombing the Nord Stream pipeline. President Biden sighs deeply, release the UFOs. Like, I think it's funny how just all of a sudden there's these UFOs and they're being portrayed. Okay. They're being portrayed as aliens by most people. Here's my thing. I'm a huge believer in aliens. I, aliens exist. You, wait, wait, question. Are you an alien? Potentially. Okay. Can neither confirm nor deny that. But let's think as long about, as you're illegal, let's think about that's this. fine. You're an advanced species and you have the ability to travel the universe mm. and you've unlocked infinite energy. But once you get to Earth, you get taken down by an F-16. Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's not adding up. And so um, what's funny is this one that was just shot down yesterday or the day before over one of the Great Lakes, one of my friends and speaker, Dennis Border at Empower, uh, plug into Empower there. He was flying over the Great Lakes and he what? has a picture of it being shot down no. and smoking. Yeah. He's like, what's going on? He's like, I see some like airplane being shot down. Dude, tweet like, that shit out, man. He did. He tweeted it. All right. I got to look at it. I'll retweet it. I didn't retweet, retweet it. Retweet. Retweet. I'm going to retweet it right now while we're talking. But, you know, the whole Chinese spy balloon, we saw that. Now we have these other weird UFOs <laughs> that we're not sure what they are. What do you guys think is actually happening? Mark? You know, I think I think there's just more awareness of certain phenomenon that have or phenomena that have been with us for a while. That is, I just don't agree. There, Let me so stop. Let me stop you right there. The F twenty two has never done anything since we built them, and all of a sudden, in a week, we're dispatching F twenty twos to shoot shit down. Right. I, I I think it was you know there's some political reason that this is now kind of front of mind awareness and there might be a little if not a lot of truth in the humor of your tweet right yeah so holy shit all of a sudden there's all these balloons out there they may there may be balloons flying all over the place that we've just never paid attention to or see yeah seen and now it's is it a is it a deflection play is it a you know some distraction from something there's, I there's, just a, have a, there's really a lot of other time, stuff going Mark. on. I have a hard time believing this because this is the narrative that I'm hearing. The Biden administration blames that, oh, there were balloons even during Trump's era, but we didn't know about it till a few weeks ago that there were balloons a few 
right. during Trump's era. I'm like, well, if no one knew at the time that balloon f- uh, flew over the United States, did it really happen? Where's the, where's the source and where's the evidence? Where's the source? Where's the evidence? I'm like, this is bullshit. If we, we were the most supposedly technologically advanced country in the world and yeah. we don't know when something's flying over our airspace. No, I love that. Like, I just sh- don't buy it. We, I love that we're we shooting do. down balloons with F-22 Raptors. Like that's yeah. the most ironic thing to me. I'm like- With million dollar ordinance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's what I was thinking. How much did that cost? Dude. <laughs> when you could just pop it, you know? Dennis took down his- uh, I don't see the post anymore, but the FBI knocked on his door. He's like, take this shit down. Oh, shit. <laughs> Probably got removed. But tell, yeah. him to, tell him to at least uh, but the message reason, it around. The reason I thought it was funny is because I literally got on Twitter and I saw like a news report that the U.S. Air Force had shot down a UFO over uh, one of the Great Lakes. And then the very next tweet was, tweet was from Dennis. He's like, hey, I'm in an airplane and see this out the window. What's happening? That would so, freak me out a little bit. Yeah, one of my Canadian buddies hit me up about that tweet I sent. He's like, man, this made me laugh. And I'm like, yeah, you see Justin Trudeau talking about uh, shooting that down that one in Canada. I'm like, man, Canadians are so lucky that they have the United States. I know. He, like, he was, his the response report was, said he, he ordered the United States to shoot it down <laughs> yeah. for him. Right. My friend's response mm-hmm. is like, yeah, you can't take down UFOs with canoes. So. That's right. That's <laughs> right. About the original balloon, the surveillance balloon. What do you guys think of the notion that that's, you know, she's kind of inert way of testing the political will or the hawkishness of a response by the U.S.? You know, we can encroach on their airspace, their sovereign territory, and I've got great propaganda. I like she's response when we shut it down. He goes, that's not, that wasn't nice. Like he was pissed that we shut it down. I'm like, he's, (laughs) he's sort of being that bully where the bully hits you in the arm and you hit him back. He's like, stop hitting me and hit you again. They're always one up on us. When I thought about the balloon, I, I, Mark, I think your, your point, point of view is right. If I was she, I'm, I'm launching 5,000 balloons because it seems there's nothing we can do. We're weak and he's showing it. He's proving it. And, um, you know, that should, why, yeah, why, that should why don't I just have a flash of the movie up and the yeah. old, old man <laughs> in the house going up in the balloon? Million That's balloons. right. Yeah, I think that it's strange that, one, you let it fly. Like, we knew about it as general public. We knew about it when it was, what, Montana and coming over. And you let it fly across the entire United States before doing something about it and then shoot it at the coast which I thought was strange. Yeah, all those cows um, in Montana, you know, might get hurt by yeah. a falling objects. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Just, just coincidentally, where we have a lot of our intercontinental ballistic missiles in our it's perfect. B-1, yeah. B-1 yeah. fleet. And so... I'm curious how, they, how they steered the balloon in the, in the right order. That's what... That's pretty impressive. I don't know. That's what I want to know more about the balloon. I want to know about the tech. I also want to know more about the tech on the Nord Stream, the sonar, how how they had to optimize the audio so that it sent the right audio or signal to blow up the ordnance. I thought that was it's pretty a, impressive. You know, this may be somewhat inaccurate, but it's kind of this unique sympathetic low frequency wave that is that can get through all the other noise. The the real risk you run is having all the other stuff that's going on down there in terms of audio signals triggering. Yeah, that was the the, that's the fear. Wanted them to go off. I don't want to be the guy that's setting the bomb and all of a sudden 
I, a signal comes through and blows it up on me, you know? Yes. Yeah. I mean, well, they, they were very worried about Russian surveillance too, because the Russians are always looking and listening in the Baltics and yeah. right w with a very intensive degree. So it's, you know, I mean, it, it's it, their it, big it's crazy. Like, do you remember the if story true, it was incredibly in Cuba a few effective. years ago with the, uh, like we had to pull everyone at the U S consulate at the embassy out of Cuba because they were using like some technology was being used on American ambassadors, like when they're in their hotels and in their rooms and it was some type of like subsonic impulse device and make them super sick, melt their brain. Yeah. Make them get like splitting headaches. And like, I mean, it was a huge CIA investigation. Just like never know exactly what it was. All right, we want to get back on sides with with energy. I mean, dude, this is all energy, bro. Yeah, <laughs> energy is everything, dog. Everything. <laughs> so yeah, the um, the uh, balloons thing. We'll see where we're at on next week's BDE, but I imagine that we're gonna have more balloons. Since we're kind of talking big sky stuff, I've hopefully been following the story. A, hopefully, we still have a show next week. We don't get obliterated by aliens. We might. Well, we should. We should start. Filming in an undisclosed location. For sure. Because people are on to us. Yeah, we're going um, awesome. I mean, we're talking about Nord Stream and aliens here. It's I've been following shit. this story, speaking of like balloons and blowing up, but there's this huge issue going on in, in especially United Kingdom, but in Europe over energy retailers. Consumers are pissed because like the Centricas and Abudrolas in Spain, they're making a lot of money. And they're not making money off selling energy to consumers. They're making money off trading and selling raw, raw, you know, getting gas out of the ground. Yeah. But but they're really struggling because consumers only see who they're paying bills to. Mm. So their bills are high. Yeah. And while retailers actually don't make a lot of money, in fact, I, uh, there's a great chart here that says they're actually, the average uh, margin is actually um, less than zero. So they're actually losing money on retail. Yeah. But what I find interesting, and I wonder if it's going to, if it's going to move into the U.S. and or what's going to happen. But there's a possibility that you're going to see a breakup, potentially a monopolistic breakup of these entities. If the consumer uh, pushback is so bad, if they're so pissed, are we going to see the, you know, the shells and, and the, these huge integrated power companies? Are you going to see them being split up? Because I think it'd be pretty tough think? to justify a breakup of any energy company in the United States when you have companies like Apple and Amazon and Tesla that dwarf. Yeah, well, I mean, they they're politically in the right place. Yeah, I mean, this is this yeah, is but, true, but still like that graphic that came out a few years ago like showing Apple's logo and then all the energy companies that combined. fit within. Yeah, like just mind-blowing that Apple's that big. And and a couple of of thumbnails to think about it how big they are. They're I think I mentioned it last week four and a half times Exxon. And if you took Apple's market cap, you could buy all 100 of the top mining companies in the world yeah. <laughs> and have enough left over to buy, I think, two years of global copper production. That's crazy. That's <laughs> just like so, like it's hard to fathom how big Apple is. And, and their market share in the smartphone arena is in the 60% they and, and uh, uh, Samsung. Yeah. Well, this goes back to the implications on China. I mean, China and the United States are so inter interconnected because everything's being manufactured over over yeah. Asia, especially yeah. in China. You know, one one interesting thing that you're saying about 
you know, people over there being mad about their energy prices, but it's really the company, like they just see who they're paying the bill to. This is one thing that I've been saying for a while in the United States is like, if I'm Chevron or Exxon, like I don't want gas stations with my mm -hmm. name on them. Even like, though you don't own them. Yeah. Like it's I terrible. Don't, yeah. I don't want that because people business. are, yeah, people are spending their money at a Chevron station and they're like, fuck Chevron, you know, taking all this money from me. Like, I don't want my name on that. <laughs> and, the, and the flip side to that is if you're at a local level, you're looking at your local Shell or Exxon or independently owned retail outlet. There's 160,000 retail fuel outlets in the U.S. Yeah. Or excuse me, 145,000. It's a lot. 60% of those are owned by families or individuals that own one store. Yeah. yeah. Small business. And, yeah. and their fuel margin is in the... Uh, Three to four cents, five cents maybe per yeah. gallon. Yeah, hundred percent. You know who we need. So it's, it's very akin to what you know. Okay, there's the public image. I'm getting my my bill from Centrica, or I'm having to go to my local Shell to buy gasoline, and that's the target. You know, it localizes the target. Well, what I've so heard, like this is before my time. Um, you know, maybe y'all saw this, but like back in the day, there was actually brand affinity for types of gasoline. Like people would only you know go to seventy six. For their gasoline because they had the best gasoline um those are things that i've heard i've never you, seen that you, in you my life you don't know what you're buying yeah <laughs> you know what's interesting is when, when i was at one of the big integrateds i talked to the retail group and they actually get pissed i'm like does anyone really is anyone really loyal no one goes to the exxon station because it's exxon and they're like do not ever open your mouth again Everyone loves our brand. I was Who like, was this? I don't know. Who was this? The, the retail people, the people uh, that run retail for the company oh, I used really? to work for, <laughs> Shell. They thought that their brands, like everyone goes to Shell because it's Shell. I was like, I don't yeah, buy that. No. Now, no one gives. I a bet shit. everyone goes to Bucky's because it's Bucky's. No, hundred. And they don't give a shit about the gas that comes out of Bucky's. No, who? Yeah. Station. But that's what I'm saying. Uh, I, who like yeah, who provides that gasoline at Bucky's? I have no clue. But Bucky's has a ton of brand affinity for dude, the corn Bucky's. Like, I love dude. I, Bucky's is one of my favorite businesses. I, out I, there. I, I have, ever. I have ever. Ex, I have Exxon and Valero equidistant from my house. I'm an Exxon legacy, so you would think that's my affinity. I go to Valero a lot. Yeah. Why? Because they have an awesome walk-in beer beer cooler. I was gonna say Valero stores are usually pretty shitty though. Oh. This one's pretty good. Like At least the beer cooler. Yeah. Beer, I don't they really have a like beer, beer cooler. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Like Huge stripes. Dude, beer cooler. One time I, I got, thought you just loved the Venezuelans. <laughs> one time I got food poisoning so bad from stripes. From a, because <laughs> we'd eat out of those gas stations Tomorrow. when I worked in the oil field. No, it was a burrito. breakfast burrito. Oh, yeah. And like, I hate stripes now. That was like bad probably eight, nine bro. years ago. And I've just like, so. Have you eaten anything bad at, at Bucky's? No, not no. once. It's Me the complete either. opposite. Like, I mean, Bucky's is just, they rock. Dude, I go to Bucky's and like, I like hate it. Like strong. I just walk out with like a pound of fudge. Like why? Like you just fucking look good. It is looking at like they're they making rank, it right there. They rank second. You is said it, this to Costco. Yes. Is it sec true? Second to Na what? Nationally. I don't It was a national poll. Oh, well, no one knows yeah. about Bucky's outside. Uh, Bucky's is very regional, but for Bucky's to show up as number two, and we all know oh, it really? ought to be number one, but- yeah. Right. Okay. Oh, that's, that's impressive. You, oh, okay. That's that's super. That's cool. impressive. Well, not even like you don't have Bucky's out in West Texas. I didn't know what Bucky's was until I moved to Houston, and so like just a fascinating business. But yeah, um, we, we can cut this out too. But when my no, we one of my daughter, shit, we don't cut shit out. When my one of my daughters went to college in the southeast, and 
she's making her first road trip and all the girls are, you know, we need to make a, a, a gas stop. And my daughter just pipes up. Why don't we just stop find a Bucky's? No Bucky's in Georgia or Florida. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or at least there wasn't at that time. Yeah, they're actually so. expanding out that way. Oh, yeah. Now. They just opened in Colorado. Yeah. Amazing. Crazy. Crazy. They're going to kill it. Yeah. Anyway. I absolutely love that business. So uh, to end off our energy news, we had a, a Shell Climate lawsuit. I didn't see a lot about this, but apparently the board of directors are being sued. Not just on a personally on a personal level, yeah. right? Dude, one time this oil company tried to sue me on a personal level for gross negligence. I was like 25 years old, and I was like, you guys understand that I don't have any money, right? And that was the end of that lawsuit. I don't know if that works out for the board of directors of Shell, though. So this is a, a British law firm filed in England and Wales mm-hmm. against, as you mentioned, the Shell board of directors personally, so individually. And it's from what the story alleges, it's the first of its kind. And it just broadly alleges that Shell hasn't done enough or gone fast enough with the energy transition. And we think about last week's top, one of the last week's topics of conversations front and center was BP. Yeah. Tapping the brakes and flattening the, the pace at which it's oil production <clears throat> is expected to decline, which I think we all have seen has been dude what a shitty proposition to be a on the board of a company and you run the risk of being sued personally because a company well, they have dno a good dno insurance policy so i'm not too worried about them but, yeah but it is a reason and this has been ongoing for years now that the concern if something goes I and mean, this i think enron was you know one of the sorry enron but it's one of the companies that sort of started this fear of like, do I really want to be a public director? Mm-hmm. The risk is I have to sign my life away. If I'm, if it's wrong, they're coming after me. Yeah. I'll date myself a little bit, but um, in the larger bucket of issues around that, I, I remember that kind of angst about public company board service and, and whether DNO in a conventional sense is going to be <laughs> What is sufficient uh, director and officer director uh, and officers insurance liability insurance liability which which we when I make investments in the companies it's clear that you know we want to make sure that there's proper DNO insurance in case you know an angry investor decides to get you know frivolous and sue yeah so so I I spent about eighteen months almost two years on the front lines of I guess the original lightning rod ESG issue which is the Valdez spill oh, up in Alaska. Shit. And thank God for no social media. And I think there were only one or two cable networks at that time. But it was the first time in my life, and I don't know if it was completely serious, but the concept of limitless liability. You know what's interesting? I'm glad you brought up Valdez. We all remember. Do you know that story? Yeah. We've all heard it. Yeah. Nord Stream is worse. And no one's talking about the environmental impact. Because of the methane. Yeah. Because of the methane. It's yeah. worse. Supposedly. So you're talking about from an environmental perspective. Yeah, we all know Valdez. We're always going to remember it because it was the first. But this Nord Stream was done on purpose by a government supporting, you know, huge energy transition. Is blowing up pipelines ESG. (laughs) So so I I think this, this, back to the Shell action or lawsuit, I think it's interesting to watch this unfold against a backdrop. I think we can all agree where. ESG is getting some pushback. You know, it's a, there's a lot of crosswinds out there between yeah. 
you know, human flourishing and yeah. advancing um, for the rest of the world to get out of energy poverty yeah. and, and, and taking a, a more measured approach with over-reliance on renewables and letting some of the technology come to us at a time when mm-hmm. we can then commercially scale it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what the, what the mandates are to say, we demand that Exxon, instead of earning $56 billion in a year, and I don't know what that translates into retained earnings and cash flow, you need to reinvest more in innovation. Well, what kind of returns profiles are associated with those accelerated investments And if you're trying to push that development curve too hard? I mean, yeah. I've, I've, I've uh, had this, these conversations at the highest levels when I was at Shell. Right. And- what Bernard Looney at BP said is, is oil and gas has superior returns. So, you know, as we've discussed in my blog last week, I've talked about um, this over and over again. But the reality is you have investors on both sides. You have investors that say, if, if, you, if I can get superior returns at another company, I'm going to pull out of the, I'm pulling out of you. So the CEOs and the management teams can't, spend too much on something where they're going to have inferior returns period in the story. Yeah. No matter how good it is. And that's why BP is doing this. So this lawsuit at Shell, they've have the, the interesting thing about Shell is they have investors on both sides. They have activist investors that say, you're not moving fast enough. And you have other investors saying, if your returns go down, I'm pulling out. So they're limited in the saying, amount like of it's money. It's your fiduciary duty to make sure that we're investing in things that have the best return. The best which, returns. Yes. So I heard one executive recently who had origins in I I would I will just say one of the more progressive majors. And then we were talking about this whole transition of the business model for the independents mm-hmm. in, in in particular, but it holds true for the majors as well. If you've been about fundamentally producing, transporting refining and retailing hydrocarbons for 150 years, it's really hard to pivot the business model, the culture of the organization, the competitiveness with as impatient of a transition timeline as imposed on most things now, right? If you're not generating returns, we've seen BP underperform, for example, trying to make Mm -hmm. a very significant impact in making big investments in, in, in renewables, particularly wind, and, you know, the pushback comes pretty quickly. And then, as you talked about, you, you start to imperil your own well-being as an executive or a director. Yeah. And there, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be consequences for that. So, you know, I, I think that um, uh, one, of the, one of the things that this executive brought up was, look, maybe there is – a point in time in the not too distant future where the realization is that these traditional oil and gas companies, the upstream players are essentially sunset businesses, right? Once, once you reach the end of that runway, is that, is that it? Or can they transform right. into something else? I don't think they're sunset businesses. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't agree. I thought it was an interesting point of view. Yeah. But. I don't think that they're sunset businesses. I think that, you know, a lot of people like to clown on the, oil and gas majors for not succeeding in renewables. But I'm like, maybe you need to look at the underlying asset that they're investing in. Um, Really, 
it's not that hard in my opinion mm-hmm. to um build and scale renewables whether it's solar or wind i mean it's pretty mm-hmm. easy math compared to oil and gas right and so um i think that one of the biggest problems that they're having is that you know everyone under everyone not everyone um but a lot of people assume that one we can scale to 100% renewables and they don't think about renewable projects on a spectrum and that we've already attacked you know 40% of the lowest hanging fruit reached a point of uh, distribution and market share where it becomes increasingly hard to deploy more renewables on a um, economic basis and so you know the energy companies may be finding that now where it's just hard to find projects that actually make money um whereas if you were a renewables focused company over the last Mm -hmm. 10 to 15 years you probably got to scoop up a lot of that low-hanging fruit and um i think that those companies are going to have a hard time moving forward as well yeah and i'll I'll admit to being usually limited to a horizon that you know is kind of an investment horizon way of thinking so if you think out over multiple decades, mm. look, the, the companies are all fundamentally well-equipped with technical know-how. Mm. They know how to do complex research. They know how to do big remote project execution. They're, they're just good, good large-scale block, blocking and tackling skills yeah. in a major project organization. Well, that's what I, uh, Darren Woods said something um, from Exxon – can't remember the quote verbatim, but everyone was clowning on him on Twitter because essentially it was along the lines of like, uh, renewable energy is not a game for startups, so, something like that. And Pretty true. Everyone was like, this guy's so wrong. Like they're getting disrupted. And I'm like, like I got in the comments. I'm like, you guys think that Exxon, a company full of some of the most technical energy professionals in the world, can't figure these things out. You're wrong. And they are more well-equipped than startups. As much as I love startups, like, Startups aren't a fit to build out large-scale <laughs> infrastructure. It's a company like Exxon. So There are capabilities within companies like that. And again, going back to Valdez, I was an upstream guy. Mm-hmm. And the crisis brought together expertise from around the world and the various functions and business lines. And there were some amazing, very granular experts on things like marine wildlife or uh, chemical yeah, natural dispersants of oil and people working all over the world in R and D uh, that are some of the best in their fields. And yeah. so, mm. my favorite story: si- like science. That. Science my is f- science is not an uncomfortable yeah zone for the majors. Yeah, my favorite story like that is when the Chilean miners got uh, trapped in that mine. It was a Texas boy, a tool hand <laughs> from oil and gas, that went and drilled the hole and ran the tool to get them out. Yeah, and so literally just oil and gas. I mean. One thing I've always loved about oil and gas is we have the ability to just get shit done. So Amen uh, to that. Can't can't think that we can't figure out uh solar and wind. So <laughs> we're getting a little long in the podcast here. We need to wrap things up. What we got to to finish out, Mark. I assume you mean the finger of the week. Yes. That's the only way that we can end the show. All right. I, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna rename it this week to really just shut the hell up and <laughs> On the it seemed EV. like it was like so aggressive. Like Chuck's <laughs> rolling in his 
prostate problem right now. I felt like that was like directed towards me, like he's being on, aggressive towards me. On, on, on the on the eve eve of pitchers and catchers reporting uh, the start of baseball season, Evan Drellick, who used to be the beat writer for the Houston Chronicle for the Astros, who was one of the primary investigative journalists on uncovering the Astros scandal back in. Well, the story was released in November of 2019 with Gate or whatever. Ken Rosenthal yeah. is releasing a book tomorrow called Winning Fixes Everything. And it's a deep dive on the whole decay and culture and, you know, when it all costs attitude and, and the of way MLB or for the Astros. Oh, for the longest time, there's been a Twitter war between Dodgers, Twitter and Astros, Twitter the highest profile example of the the hate from the Dodger side who believe that the 2017 World Series was stolen came from Cody Bellinger, who basically said back in the day that Jose Altuve stole the MVP from Aaron Judge and the Astros stole the World Series from from the Dodgers. Well, in in this new book that's coming out, an anonymous Boston Red Sox player with direct observation and knowledge of the situation claims in the video room at Fenway Park during the 2018 series matching the Dodgers and the Red Sox that the Dodgers were explicitly engaged in electronic sign stealing in the video room at at Fenway Park. And Major League Baseball knew of that. In fact, there was a Major League Baseball observer in the room when it was going on, and the league decided to do nothing about it. So mm. it's it, it's it's pretty well known throughout the league and and having a little bit of insider knowledge and how these front offices and, and clubhouses and everything else work. It's, you know, it's yeah. a sport where every edge that's available, every team, every player. Yeah, I thought every, the holier than thou attitude from the rest of the league was pretty funny with Astros. So, so I'm, 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 I'm just. I'm not like a diehard Astros fan, so. People like, just I hate Houston bias. in general, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm hate just. because they ain't us. I, <laughs> Back in the day, when when the Astros addressed that in in 2020 at spring training, Carlos Correa basically told Bellinger to shut the hell up. So I'm oh, nice. you're giving the shut the hell up award to, to Dodger Nation and specifically. I kind of like that. We could interchange. Who's now finger a cub, of the week. By the way. Shut the hell up. Just don't say it so aggressive and look at yeah. me at the same yeah, time. No doubt. Kind of was like, Damn, Pure dude. coincidence. Yeah, feelings too. I know. Like almost made me cry on the show. That was man. a bit long winded. Sorry. <laughs> All right. We're Good gonna, show, boys. I don't have a finger of the week. Um, so I'm just going to run with Mark's shut the hell up. That's good enough for me. Yeah, let's ride that one out. <laughs> so, Cheers. All right. All right, more balloons. More balloons coming this week, possibly. We'll uh, we'll see. We'll see uh, if we don't get invaded by aliens. And I was wrong. So hopefully that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Although dying by aliens would be pretty lit. So You think be- Chuck was raptured by an alien? Chuck was raptured by something. All right. <laughs> It's, it's, that's the only explanation for Chuck's behavior. So, <laughs> all right. If y'all like this show, leave a review for us on Apple or Spotify. We have Empower coming up in a few weeks. If you are interested in Bitcoin mining in the energy industry, grab yourself a ticket on digitalwalletcutters.com backslash Empower. It's March 8th and 9th at 713 Music Hall. It's going to be a really good time. We will catch y'all on next week's episode.